Welcome to Build. I'm really excited because today I have my good friend, Rachel Nisham. She's the VP of product at Lola, one of my favorite product people in Boston and probably the world because I mostly know people in Boston. Um, anyway, <laughs> welcome to the show. Really excited to have you. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So today I wanted to do something a little bit differently, which is rather than just talking about like how we think about a topic, I wanted to go deep on our experience as product leaders and actually how we do some tactical things. The biggest one is prioritization and goal setting. I think that's the thing that every PM struggles with. Every PM talks about there's like 10,000 ways you can do it, but obviously we think that there's some better ways and some worse ways. So to start, how do you at Lola go about goal setting? Like, yes, what's your framework? Totally. So we, I think, you know, we've talked about this, but we do a quarterly mm-hmm. goal setting. Yep. Although I will caveat that with, as we go into 2020, we're setting higher level company goals for the year. Okay. Which will nest our quarterly goals off of that. Mm-hmm. So at a very high level, setting quarterly goals, which then the PMs, the product teams take and set two to three goals for the quarter for their teams that are measurable so they can test, you know, and really run against those goals. Okay. And are you using like an OKR framework or I, I homegrown? Think, yeah, it's not specifically an OKR framework. It's just I think the important things are that it's clear and it's measurable yep. so that they know what they're actually trying to accomplish. Okay. And are the time frames of the goals for the quarter? They're for the quarter. Okay. Yeah. So we do a similar thing at Drift. What we do is we have those long-term company goals that are kind of, this year we did six-month increments because mm-hmm. um, we felt like a year was just, when you're growing so fast, didn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. So we made like two sets of goals, one for the first half, one for the second half. And then we did, this is our first year of doing quarterly goals. Yeah. And we started, I think we approached it as, we assumed that like we would get it wrong. Mm-hmm. So the first set of goals were trash and the second set were like less trash and then you know we got better as we went yeah but I think what we switched to this quarter was really focusing on outcomes yeah so the goals we focus a lot this time around on what are the statements like what are you be trying to create for customers in mm-hmm. those statements and then like you mentioned how are we going to measure it and how can we scope it to a quarter yeah and those statements being based on a problem a job to be done yeah so the, we go into the quarter with like strategic themes that come from really the founders, our VP of strategy. Mm -hmm. And then those are pretty high level. So then the product leaders kind of break them down into sort of opportunity areas. Mm -hmm. And then we just go to the teams, which are the PMs and the tech leads. And we say, all right, this is really what we think matters to the customer. Like this is where we think we can make the most impact on our business metrics. How can we get there? Like, what do you guys think that we can do? And it's their job to kind of look at a problem and say, we think we can move this number by this percent and we're going to go figure out how. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. The one thing that I think we haven't done a great job with is discovery. Yeah. So I think to know what you can do for an outcome, you need to have done discovery work. Yeah. So like, are you guys doing that in the quarter, the quarter before? Yeah, I think similarly, it's something we're constantly iterating on. Mm -hmm. So so right now, similar to you guys, our Mm -hmm. quarterly goals are based on like opportunity areas that then the PMs are saying, okay, I have these... KPIs, right? These key performance indicators that I'm trying to move. And really, we're just, we're moving those incrementally and we're like Mm -hmm. trying to move them up or move them down depending on what the KPI is. But we haven't gotten to the point where we're being able to target into like, okay, we're going to move this KPI by X percent or this number. So we're just refining that over time. I think it is really hard to do because Mm -hmm. you have to know like, okay, we ship this thing then we think it's going to have this impact. You have to have done that so many times right. to be able to like estimate that impact. And you have to be recording that all the time and constantly measuring, yeah. which sometimes I worry a little bit too much about becoming quantitative, like mm-hmm. overly quantitative. Mm-hmm. So right now we're really just focusing on moving it up or moving it down, but not as precise as you guys are. Yeah. 
I mean, that was going to be my next question because I don't think we, I mean, we're a young startup as well. We haven't, we don't have enough data to say, to forecast Mm -hmm. impact based on features. Mm -hmm. And I also think, to your point, we could spend a month of the quarter really digging into how sensitive the KPIs are to different factors. But like, we probably know what we should do. Yeah. And it's probably not that complicated. And so we probably should just do it. Yeah. And trust that we've, we've kind of like gotten it right. Yeah. Or at least we're directionally on the right path. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think this relates to, like, not to take us into prioritization too fast, mm-hmm. but we do very simple prioritization, okay. which I think is related to moving the KPIs up or down, right? So okay. we do, like, impact and effort, um, mm-hmm. which I think is it's most basic, and we're doing it largely based on qualitative data that we get from customer interviews, you know, from prospect demos, and then quantitatively is the data usage that people have. But we don't... I think we're starting to get better at looking at the product data usage, but mm-hmm. it hasn't been an extreme focus of the company at this point. So what's an example of using that framework? Like, does the team set their own goals? Yeah, so the team set their own goals. Well, okay. they have, so each product team has KPIs, right? Okay. And then based on those KPIs... For the feature that they own or the area of the product. For the area of the product, okay. yeah. How we're divided up, so Lola does software for business travel. So we have a management product, which is basically a company can set up their... They can sign up the company. They can add all their information, such as people and departments. They can mm-hmm. add their policies, and then they can report on the bookings against the policies made within the platform. So that's okay. one product. Then we have a search and book product, which I think everyone's probably booked a flight or a hotel, and that's what you can do there. And then we have a service product, meaning okay. that's all the work that our service team does to service the bookings. Mm-hmm. So if you need to change or cancel a flight, you go to the service team. But so each team sets they have their KPIs for their specific areas that I work with the product managers to define and make sure they're executing against. And then based on those KPIs, they'll determine what they're going to do, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where the high impact, like low Got effort it. comes okay. into play. Yep. So they're saying, these are my KPIs. These are all the things I could do to increase or decrease these mm-hmm. um, numbers. And they look at it from a very simple two by two, like, is it high impact, low effort? And that's how they're prioritizing the work. How long do they spend doing the impact and effort analysis? It's a good question. It probably, it varies, honestly, based on the item. Mm -hmm. So the idea, right? I think because search and book for travel is so defined, there's a lot of table stakes Mm -hmm. that we know we have to do that just takes a long time to do for the product. So there's some things we don't even need to think about. Mm -hmm. We know that it's high impact, high effort. I think where it becomes a little tricky is the differentiators. So Mm -hmm. every PM is kind of spending a different amount of time, but I would probably say... If it's not a table stake, if it's something that we think is a differentiator, probably at least five customer interviews, which you, which could range from 30 mm. to 60 minutes, and then looking at the data. So I would say probably on average like eight to 10 hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the things that we we definitely don't do is keep a roadmap. Do you guys have a roadmap? We have a roadmap, yeah. Okay. So we don't keep a roadmap because what we do is we say, if these are the outcomes we know we care about as a business, if yep. these are the ways that we think each team can move um, a given set of metrics. Yep then they're going to figure out the best way to forward to do that. Mm-hmm. And all we're promising is that outcome. And mm-hmm. so we just don't keep a list of the things we're going to do. Ever. No one does. I mean, you can kind of infer it from the, the goals that people have. And yep. like, it's probably relatively clear what they're going to do. And then yeah. they'll start talking about it as they do the research and figure out what is the things that they want to ship. Yep. But it's not like I can pull up a document and say, like, here are the f- 10 things we're going to build. Yeah. I mean, I love that. Mm-hmm. Have you heard this term expectation debt? Mm-hmm. I think roadmaps, Wait, no, I haven't. roadmaps create a lot of expectation, yeah. debt, right? So you put it on a roadmap and then everyone becomes wed to this idea that you're right. going to do yes. this. Yeah, yeah, But you need to... I didn't to, know how to label for that. That's yeah, I'm right. I forget I'm where I saw down. this. Okay. So Whatever, whoever I'm credit. not giving credit to, I apologize. <laughs> but 
It's true. It's You yeah. see it so often. You see yeah. it when you commit to delivery date, an estimated delivery mm-hmm. date. You see it when you put it on a roadmap. It's something I would personally, like, I totally agree with you if you're mm-hmm. focused on outcomes. Who cares how you get there, right? right? As mm-hmm. long as you get there. Yeah. But there has to be some check. There mm-hmm. has to be some analysis and learning done to make sure that that team, like, how do you coach that team as they go along, right? And I think that's why we're talking about prioritization frameworks because then product leaders can come in and say, okay, let's talk through how mm-hmm. you're assessing mm-hmm. what you think is going to move this metric. So I really feel like it's prioritization is more for the product manager. Roadmaps make management feel more comfortable. Definitely. But if they spend more time on defining the outcomes mm-hmm. that the business needed to achieve yeah. and less time on the way that we get there, mm-hmm. I would let product managers go do their yeah, job. I yeah, I agree. Every day. Yeah, and I think the Product one, managers, engineers, and designers. Yes, just rephrase yes, it. The, yeah. the product teams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the way that it helps that I've seen it work really well is when the outcome is really well defined and the reason why that outcome matters is really well defined Mm -hmm. because then it's like you've already sort of set the scene for the types of things that you might want to do. And then we have a couple of things we've also done, which is when the teams start to make choices about what they're doing, they focus a lot on telling the story of why and like how they got there and what they decided not to do. So that becomes like part of their story for the quarter is how they're approaching the problem. And they repeat that a lot. So then everyone kind of picks up on like the choices that they've made. And then what they'll also do sometimes is, especially if there's an area of the product that stakeholders care a lot about, they'll do concept designs. And they'll say, here are some examples of what this might look like, or here are some examples of how we might solve this problem to kind of orient everyone in a visual. Because I think it's really hard to have a conversation in outcomes when it's like, great, you know, we have a chat product, we're going to have this many chats, but like, how? How? Yeah, like, yeah. what is? what do I get for that? What do I get for this experience? Yeah. And that's our way of saying, we don't really know. Here are the three things that we think we're going to do. It mm-hmm. might look like this. It might not. We don't know. But, like, yeah. generally speaking, probably along this yeah. path. Yeah, there are a couple important things that I thought you said. So, one, I think one thing we're trying to get better at is calling out what we won't do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these omissions mm-hmm. where I feel like they take up so much mental energy and that if you can align the entire organization around those things, right, then you don't have business development trying to go off and strike a partnership that has something to do with that. You don't have customer service thinking about how they'd service that. Like, mm-hmm. if you can uh, if you can call those things out clearly and tell the story of why both things yeah. are in mm-hmm. or they're out of scope, mm-hmm. being explicit about those things keeps everyone on the same page and going right. in the same direction, which is really important. Yeah, and one of the tools we use for doing that is we have these biweekly meetings that every product team goes through, and they make a little video for the start of every meeting. Yeah. And as part of that, usually what they'll do is they recap what their quarter is about and why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. And because every two weeks they're telling the same story, you get to, you sort of get used to like, okay, this person is focused on this problem. They're approaching it this way, and they they've come to these conclusions. Yeah, and you, because you you repeat that several times, everyone sort of understands the scope of the problem. Yeah, my boss Paul English forwarded me a tweet from Craig that was like the most the best thing you can do for a product team is to have them speak about yes. speak about their product strategy mm-hmm. and why it's important, right? Yeah, so that's awesome that you guys are doing it. I think we get a little bit of this in product specs where people call it the business case, mm-hmm. um, but. If we did that so much more, I i mean, I've heard from countless engineers, and you may have also, but they want to believe, right? They want to yeah. know why they're doing the work they're doing and mm-hmm. why it's important to the company and the customer. Yep. And it's actually something, as a former Army officer, that we learned with soldiers was, you know, soldiers don't go into battle because someone tells them to. They go mm-hmm. in because they believe it's the same same type of thing. Like, people want to believe. Right. At the end of the day. Yeah, and I think the most powerful thing that I've seen happen on the engineering team here and the design team as well is it's not 
as a PM, it's not my story. Mm-hmm. It's our story for the team. Yeah. And it's often they contribute to the telling of the story. Yeah. Right? Like, there's an engineer I've been actually just sit behind him. So we've been talking about this one thing. And he's been doing this really cool analysis of why a certain thing is happening in mm-hmm. our data. And he's, like, peeling it back slowly, by, layer by layer. And in doing so, he's become the person who owns this problem. So awesome. And he's the one telling us the story. And he's the one whose metrics we're looking at. And he's, like, driving this whole roadmap. And we're all just cheerleading him because yeah. it's really cool. That's and awesome. And it's really great to see that when you set your teams up like that, people can do that kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. I think the saying is, like, once people start saying it back to you, then that's when you know you've effectively communicated something. Yeah. What a good measure of that. So I think yeah. if people take anything away from today, it's make sure you tell the why. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So then— I kind of want to circle back to discovery because we kind of touched on it when we're doing quarterly planning. It's definitely part of prioritization. But I think the question I want to know is, like, how do you, when you're mentoring PMs, like, how do you help them understand when they've done enough? Like, how do you teach them to feel comfortable that they're making the right choice? Yeah. Because a lot of it, to me, a lot of it's, like, I kind of know because I've done it enough times or I have my sort of own like mental math that I have. But like how Mm -hmm. did you articulate that to PMs on your team? I think one of the measurements, and this is like obviously you have to – we're always making bets, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know for sure what we decide that we should build is actually going to have the impact that we think it's going to have. In fact, like statistics will tell you 60% of the time it's not going to, right? Yeah. So I think the most important thing is that you get better at betting over time, which is focusing on the outcome and then measuring – the impact of the work that your Mm -hmm. team releases. So I guess that's not really directly answering your question, but I think measuring the impact is really important to increase, you know, your betting odds. But how I think about it with customers is, have you talked to at least five customers, right? And Mm -hmm. are you hearing something similar? I think that's a really good measure. Like talk to no less than five customers about this problem. I think also breaking problems down into things that you can have a quick 15-minute conversation with a customer about Mm -hmm. versus an hour-long conversation. Like, that's where I feel like there's this natural impediment to talking to customers and validating, getting Mm -hmm. a gut sense, like making sure you feel more confident in your gut is that people are trying to talk to them about everything versus just one assumption that they've made for that customer. But generally, I think, you know, talk to at least five customers, look at the product usage data if you have it, talk to other people within the company that have industry expertise, right? Like we have a huge plethora of, like, just travel knowledge. And so we talk to them. But at some point, you just have to make the decision and go. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, measuring your impact over time and just refining it as you go. Sometimes you're going to make bad bets. Sometimes you're going to make good mm-hmm. bets, but try and get better over time. Yeah, I think that point at which you know you're ready to make the choice, that's something that I think about a lot because I think when I hear people writing articles and tweeting about like the prioritization frameworks and the math that people do and how much like work they put into prioritization, yeah. to me it always sounds like they're afraid to make a choice. Yeah. And so they're like adding in all this process to like remove culpability for the choice that they want to make. Yeah, and then sure. it's like, well, my like math engine thing spit out this option, so I have to yeah. do it. And that's I don't that's not my fault. That's just what it said, versus yep. like I'm owning this decision. So how do you have any examples? And I'll share one of mine, but like of when you just decided to go for it because you knew it was the right thing, even though people around you were, like, unsettled or maybe, like, not sure? I'm sure that happens often at Lola. I think we're very—we go for it. Okay. We don't have a problem making okay. these choices <laughs> and just going yeah. for it. You know, there's something to be said for that type of mentality, I think, especially at the stage that we're mm-hmm. at to some degree. Not to say, like, we shouldn't validate these things. I think we should get better at that, and it's a focus of our team is mm-hmm. to get better at product discovery. But, you know— in some ways, it's great. You know, I mentioned this idea that we have a lot of travel industry knowledge, but I think in some ways that hurts us sometimes because we assume a lot of things about how people want to search and book travel. And for instance, one thing that we built was called 
teams. We actually pulled it back and we had it in the product for a little while. It didn't have any value. Like it it could tell you where to find a restaurant or where mm-hmm. basically that was it. It was recommendations from your team, which we thought we were like, oh, this is amazing. It's curated recommendations. People want to see these when they travel. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that there's not value in solving for that problem where you don't know where to go eat or you don't know where to go grab like a coffee at when yep. you're traveling for business. But we didn't validate it all. Like we didn't talk about customers about how they do that now, mm-hmm. how they want to share recommendations with their team. Mm-hmm. And I think that that we could have gone out the door a lot smarter and had like a solid V1 of that that we iterated upon versus pulling it back and now going to market again, you know, Mm -hmm. in the future with a V1. So that's one example. We didn't do any validation. We didn't talk to any customers. Mm -hmm. We kind of just assumed we want a coffee shop when we're traveling for business. So others will too. Did that go through your goal setting and prioritization process? No. Or was that before that? That was before that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have an example of of a a miss that we did and it wasn't even on it was actually interesting it was the team was so aligned on what the goal was and we had such strong belief in how we were going to solve this problem Mm -hmm. that we just started building yeah and what we didn't do yeah it's just like looking back it's crazy but when you think about it like okay we we have this goal we know it's really important to us we knew that we had to start building this new thing or it was actually v2 of something and then we didn't do our own discovery process, but we didn't yeah. do technical discovery. Yeah. So it's not just talking to customers, but it's also like validate that you can build the thing that you want to build mm-hmm. because we got stuck in this like horrible loop of build too much, too complicated, couldn't get it done, which is very not how we build things usually. And we had mm-hmm. to kind of like take a pause, reset this quarter and like do that dis- technical discovery work first. Yeah. So like a had- feasibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because that was something I think we probably missed when we were thinking about you know, how, what's the effort? Mm-hmm. We were like, well, we have to do it. The, the possible impact of this is going to be so big that how could we uh, not? I see. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't even look at it from that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. One very tactical thing that we do around discovery mm-hmm. is we have each month, the product team has goals for a number of customers to talk to and number of sales mm-hmm. demos to listen in on. Ooh, I like that one. So it's been really helpful to make sure we stay focused on that because so many product articles will talk about how customers are the first thing to go, right? When you're Mm -hmm. in the midst of trying to get specs ready and trying Mm -hmm. to work things through the delivery process. But I don't think we've been great at it, but it has definitely changed how we think about it and put more emphasis on doing it because we're measuring ourselves against it. So we'll say, okay, do this, like listen to this many demos with the sales team, Mm -hmm. you know, jump on this many customer interviews Mm -hmm. um, with customer success or on your own, whatever it is, and each PM is accountable mm-hmm. to a certain number of each. Yeah, we we do a somewhat similar thing is we track the number of hours per week that we're spending talking to customers or listening to customer calls. Yeah. And we track it across our designers and PMs. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if we have – I think we do have a goal. I just don't – we've just blown it out of the water every time, so I can't remember exactly what it is. Yeah. But we have some sort of like – I think if you put up a zero, everyone's kind of like – there's what, a problem with that. What were you doing this yeah. week? How could you possibly have not spoken to a single customer in yeah. a week of work? Totally. And I think this all goes back to like, do you even need a prioritization framework if you're talking to your customers often enough that you actually understand like where the problems are or where the jobs are to be done? I don't think you do. Right. Because I think if your goals are outcomes and those outcomes are for your customers and you know that those are the most important outcomes for your customers, then of course you're doing the right things. Well, I mean, you're going to learn. Assume, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to learn whether or not your customers continue to buy or new yeah. customers buy. Right, which means sure. that, like, you have to get those goals right. And yeah. you have to get the priorities of the goals right. And I think you have to do a ton of discovery at the company level. Yes. And each PM has to understand the problem they're solving really, really, really well. Yeah. 
But I think if you're doing all those things right, I don't, yeah, I don't think you need yeah. that huge roadmap. Yeah. So maybe we should be talking more about like, how do you do discovery really well, yeah. right? Because yeah. I think that's the biggest knowledge gap of many teams and mm-hmm. actual executional gap. Like it's really hard to do it. There's a huge hurdle to doing it. Yeah. And I think not to pivot too much. No, I think I mean, it's, it's sort of like, I think that's maybe why I have this sort of instinctive hatred of talking about prioritization because it's like, you can't talk about it in a vacuum because if you don't understand the problem you're solving, then like, what are you prioritizing? And to understand the problem, you have to understand your customer. So it's like all the same thing. Mm -hmm. I spoke to um, a guy named Scott Williamson. He's the VP product at GitLab. And he had a rule that they had for each of his products, I think back when he was at SendGrid, they had to talk to 10 customers. But there were two hurdles. They have a more... Like over a period of time? Yeah, it was like to get past the initial hurdle to write a spec or something. I can't remember Uh, exactly. You had to talk to 10 customers. And I think before you shipped it, you had to validate with 10 more customers. But they had an email deliverability thing, product. Mm -hmm. I'm getting this totally wrong, of course. But it was, I think the burden for getting it right was a little higher than maybe some other types of products. So they had this really high burden. But I thought it was amazing that he was like, you literally have to talk to 10 customers. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, so that's something. I just had a new PM start yesterday. And one of the things, the advice I'm taking from Marty Kagan, actually, mm-hmm. who wrote, like, he had a boss that made him do 15 customer visits. Not even, like, Ooh. customer conversations, but customer visits. Yeah. So in your onboarding, which is typically three to four months for your PM. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the new PM is Ahan in his 100-day plan is that I have it, like, sectioned out. So he's doing at least 15 customer visits. So That's awesome. I think, and why yeah. not, why wouldn't that be the same for all my PMs, right? You mm-hmm. can argue, like, consistently every month, like, customer conversations, yeah. customer visits, whatever, set a metric against it and start measuring. Yeah. You mentioned sales demos as well. One thing that I'm challenging myself for the second half of this year is to sell. Yeah. Because I think when you, as a PM, you have to understand your customers. But I think when you're a VP, like product leader, Mm -hmm. I feel like you should have to be able to understand why someone should use your product in the first place and sell it. Have you done sales? Early on in Lola, I think Mm -hmm. like along the way, we've been talking to customers and prospects and I'll go on some prospecting calls, if you will, early on. Mm-hmm. But I haven't lately. I'd be totally interested to do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's something that may, that I think is very outside of my, first of all, I like doing things that are outside of my, like, comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how I grow. But then second, it seems to me, like, it's one thing to listen to a customer and build for them. It's another thing to convince them to buy what you've built. Yeah. It's right? a really good point. Yeah. I feel like we're trying to do that all the time. But mm-hmm. are we really doing it if we're not selling? Right. Yeah, it's a really good, I think that along with customer service, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing how people, actual yeah. customers are using your product. Yeah. Would you guys do something? Yeah, we do chat, right? Yeah, we do chat duty. So that's one, at least an hour every single month where mine's actually this week. You get, it's a chat product, so it's easier to do, but you get online and you just take whatever customer requests are coming in and you have to help them. Yeah. Which is really easy for me because I've built, like I've worked on the teams that have built the product, so it's not that hard to help people use it yeah. usually. It's much more entertaining when it's someone who's maybe in HR or in finance and they are also doing their hour of customer service and Dan does job duty as well behind the camera and I know it's a little bit more challenging for them. So everybody in Drift. The entire company. Does chat duty. Yes. Once a month. Once a month. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. I think I would hope that it's providing a great experience for our customers. I'm, I'm sure the level of service varies a little bit, but the, the attitude and enthusiasm is consistent. Yeah, I could see. I mean, I think even if it's not in that moment, which I'm sure it's like a very high standard of service they're providing, but all the other things it affects, right? Yeah. I think my favorite part about it is that they're out of that experience. There's a couple of customers that I know now. Yeah. Who I, you know, awesome. there aren't like the big strategic customers that might come across my desk for lack of a better term who, you know, I partner with. Yeah. But it's, like, the small mom-and-pop shop. Shout out to Meredith, who emails me regularly. Meredith. Yeah, like, 
I know her only because I did chat to you once and yeah. she had a question. I just said, awesome. you know, just email me. Like, if you ever have a problem, it's totally fine. Yeah. And so I have this, like, small collection of customers that, like, I've formed relationships with yeah. that I never would have known. Like, otherwise known as reference customers in some ways. I yeah. guess Kind of. We do a customer advisory board. So we do that mm-hmm. quarterly. And, you know, it's basically, like, our some of our best companies, but that all look differently to Mm -hmm. us. So the way that we think about it is the target company is 20 to 500 employees or under 2 million in annual travel spend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a small company could spend a lot on travel. A big company could spend less, so it doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter. But one of the best things is I got an email from one of our customer advisory board, Brian from Tidelift yesterday, where his designer went through our product and just recorded herself using it. Mm -hmm. And then I sent that to the search and book team because she has some great takeaways. And so I think... She wants our product to be better. We want our product to be better. Mm-hmm. And having those close relationships with customers yeah. makes it easy to go and have a 15-minute conversation with them yeah. about an assumption you're making that you can then prove or disprove, right? So right. that's pretty awesome that it brings you guys to the front. Like, you can actually have those relationships yeah. based on it. Yeah, although I will say that a lot of times someone's chatting in because something's not working. Yeah. So it's not usually, like, I'm here to just hang out with you and chat. It's like, hey, I'm trying to get this thing live. I don't understand what's yeah. going on here. Like, can you help me? How can I solve so this So the problem? stakes are usually, like, a little bit higher, but I like doing it at least. Yeah, at least you feel the same pain that customer service mm-hmm. feels on that call. Yeah, and I think one thing I've been thinking a lot about for PMs is that you also are forced to step outside the boundaries of the team that you're on. Because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you have this one assumption you're trying to test. I'm going to go do that research, and I'm test this one assumption. But like, when a customer chats in, they're not like, oh, I know you're only the PM for this feature, so I'm just going to ask you about that feature. It's like, I don't understand the boundaries. I don't care. I'm the customer. Like, I'm trying to do the full workflow. Yeah. Help me with the full workflow. Right. And as a PM, you have to think about, oh, right, it's not just this thing I'm working on. It's the full workflow. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about mm-hmm. how you fight your team of PMs, right? And a lot of companies, not to, like, just go onto a tangent, but a lot of companies break it up into functional, like, verticals. Mm-hmm. And is that the best? And Or should it be based on a whole entire workflow, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. you could argue, like, Clay Christensen's job to be done. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm trying to book on behalf of somebody else. Maybe you have a PM that's focused on that whole thing. Yep. The thing that I fear is as product gets more complicated mm-hmm. is that people are siloed and they have blinders on to things that affect yes. their product area yep. in another place and they don't realize it. Yeah, we were organized when I joined Drift by, well, we didn't, we weren't really organized. And then we were organized by Persona when we got a little bit bigger. Yep. Um, so we have, like, the sales rep and we have the marketer. And then we decided to organize around products. Now we have video, chat, and email. Yep. And within that, we have, like, I'm on the the chat products, and then within that, we have other, like, several PMs. Mm-hmm. But I think by organizing by products, we've sort of given ourselves metrics that span the full workflow, which is helping. Yeah. I don't think I've seen anyone who's perfectly solved that problem. I think there's, like, matrices and other ways that people, yeah. and, like, guilds that people have across right. experiences, yeah. and there's, like, platform teams. But, yeah, I haven't come across anyone who's given me an answer to that question that was, yeah. like, totally solid. I think... It's like organizational design. Like, mm-hmm. there's no perfect answer, and you just have to continue to evolve and, like, do yeah. what's right for your company. Yeah. But Maybe we'll do another episode. Yeah, on one that day. One. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Okay. So I have – running out of time, but I have two more questions yeah, for you. let's do it. One of which is, are you reading anything right now that you, you would recommend to other PMs, aspiring PMs, product leaders? Yeah. So, well, I just finished it. I read Cal Newport's Deep Work book, mm. and – before that, he wrote a book, So Good They Can't Stop You, which is apparently a line from Steve Martin, which is basically be so good that they can't stop you. Okay. But the reason I read it is because as a product leader, you know, you're right in the middle. So many people rely on you and you have a lot of meetings that end up on your calendar because people are trying to move things forward. And what I found was that I was having a really hard time thinking deeply about problems. Mm-hmm. And I feel like 
that's a skill that PMs need to be really good at because it's complex. The systems that we are trying to improve or create are complex. So I started reading this book, Deep Work, which is all about taking time off from social media, from email, Mm -hmm. from Slack, from everything that we do every single day and just thinking deeply about a problem and some different ways to do that, whether it's recurring every day that you do deep work, whether it's one day a week or one day a month. But I found it I feel like I have some new like ways to strategize about crafting this time for deep work. So I've actually been putting on my calendar and it's allowed me to think deeper mm-hmm. about different problems for the business, which I love. Yeah, it's definitely something I want to do because I think if I can lead the product team in the right direction, that's going to have a much bigger impact than me just being able to move these little projects forward, right? So it kind of yeah. goes back to prioritization. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to loop us back there, but it does yeah. in a lot of ways. So like, how do you prioritize your time? Yeah, I think that's critical. I think about that a lot, especially as I move from PM to product lead, it's like, it's more comfortable to do the stuff that we used to do. Yes. It's more, it's easier, it's simple. You see those tasks and you're like, oh yeah, I could just jump in there and just do that one thing. I could Mm -hmm. write that spec. I could do whatever it is. But that's not the best use of your time. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Okay. And then what advice would you give to people who are PMs and want to grow or who want to become PMs? The best advice I can give is one that I learned from our friendship, right, is that find other PMs and talk to them about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, people on the front lines, like they're testing out different ideas and you're going to learn it a lot faster from other people than trying to do it all on your own. So I would say go out into the world and be brave and find PM friends. Yeah. Yeah. Did you tweet at me? How did did this happen? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Cold LinkedIn. A cold LinkedIn. Which is so drift, right? It was very drifty. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you had some quote from, I don't, there was something about it that I was like, oh yeah, this sounds awesome. We should totally meet. Yeah. So yeah, cold LinkedIn, someone who you think might be a friend and you never know. You could be on a podcast together. Yeah, totally. Well, Rachel, thanks for coming and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much. Let's get a six star review for Rachel. I haven't really had any recently, so I'd really appreciate some. And give me some feedback, Maggie at drift.com. Thanks.